Hey, so how's it going, everyone? This is Michael with the PMP Podcast and Handy's Holler. This is just a little bonus episode, little something just to say, hey, I'm still trying to do it. <clears throat> but yeah, next week might be a little tough as uh, I'm running into some problems right now. Finding a moving truck. It seems that U-Haul and Budget are all uh, tied up. They're all gone. They're, but yet they'll still take your reservation and and whatnot, and just pray someone cancels so you get to use the the truck on the day that you need it. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna pay and and play a roulette with this truck. So I called other places and, and Penske, I, I checked Penske's website and I was like, oh, fuck that. <clears throat> and then they called me back. They called me like half hour after I was on the site. They're like, oh, hey, I just want to talk to you about that quote. I said, oh, yeah. I said, you, if you want to make it a reasonable price the same as these other places and not almost 1600 fucking dollars just to drive the truck from Morgan Hill to Tahoe I want whatever you guys are on cause you guys are either smoking or snorting some good fucking drugs to come up with that number when everyone else is like 400 500 bucks god please kick down whatever you are smoking over there at Penske cause uh <laughs> my shit don't make my math that bad so I told the guy I said uh, yeah, I don't like to get fucked with my clothes on and no lube. So, yeah, you could go fuck someone else because that's pretty much what you're doing to your customers and whatnot because you you think or you know you can. Well, guess what? <laughs> I'm yelping your shit. I'm fucking, I'm going to fucking tear Penske apart right now. I'm gonna leave them so many things. So many bad reviews. <laughs> gonna report their ass. Like, Honestly, do they really think that since these other places are all backed up, they could charge that much money? Because I'm sorry, their trucks aren't as nice as anyone else's. They're the same goddamn thing. But to be a thousand dollars over, like almost eleven hundred dollars more than everyone else. God damn. Can you imagine? All right, so it's almost sixteen hundred dollars to rent, like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars to rent the moving truck. Then I load it up. I drive. It's a moving truck. 
So therefore, I'm going to have to fill up once, maybe a second time once I get to Tahoe. And I guarantee you, that truck ain't going to be no $20 to fill up. It's going to be at least $200, something to $200. So now you add 200 twice. That's 400 on top of the 16. That makes it now 2,000 fucking dollars to rent a truck. Penske, suck my hairy balls. That is just absolutely sad. So now my my thought is uh, what I think I may do is uh, well I need to finish the hiring packet and all that stuff uh, with them and I need to talk to the housing uh, liaison and whatnot so I could uh, figure out where I'm gonna stay or where I'm gonna live cause uh, if I can what I would love to do but I don't really have the money all the money to do the deposit that way is uh, find a permanent permanent spot you know to rent and so I know I got job now I know I'm going to be work hopefully be working come March or April um, I'll be doing my handyman business and electrical stuff uh, uh, as well as uh, my buddy's going to try to get me a job with him at the hardware store which is absolutely cool which uh, is you know, at a 46, I'm kind of done busting my hump and working like I did, you know. Even though I'm 46, I still worked like I was 18. You know, I I, I never I never wavered in that. Like, I, I still went hard, hard, hard. There are times that I, was, I went slow. But when it came to, like, moving material and stuff like that, Ever since I started in the trade, I say I was carrying, say we had to move 10 bundles of three quarter pipe or one inch pipe. In each bundle, there's 10 sticks. Well, that 10 sticks of one inch pipe weighs uh, close to about 40 pounds, maybe a little bit more. I could be like, almost everyone else and carry one bundle of pipe or I could be me and put up two bundles and carry 200 feet so yeah I may have uh, said oh shit my, I'm lifting more than I want to right now but guess what I did it in less trips. I didn't have to carry as much. And once it was done, it was done. But that's the way I've always been. Like, 
if someone's going to carry two bundles, I'm going to carry three. Someone's going to do this, I'm going to do that. Just because it made me, you know, I wasn't trying to show anyone up or anything like that. It just made me feel a little bit more accomplished. Like, there's days at work where I felt like shit because, you know, I I would normally get a lot, a lot done. Like, when I became service, I, I could, if I went through and really busted ass, I could probably, I could almost do 10 to 13 jobs in an 8 to 10 hour day depending on the jobs and depending on how it worked. But most of the time, um, I was up there unless it was a job that took a while. And then there are some jobs to where I got on there and like, yeah, I really felt like shit because I'd have like three or four lined up for the day and I'd be stuck at, at my very first one. Because I was told one thing, and I show up, and it's that plus more. So I want to take care of it all and get it all figured out. And what would be a half-hour hour job turned into a freaking four- to six-hour job. And I got that one done and maybe another one. So I got two in the day rather than my normal, typical nine. But, yeah, there's also times, start of COVID, I think I was working almost, almost 70 hours a week, like 65, 70 hours a week. That was at the start of COVID, so that was March 20, March 2020. From, and what was funny is the, the start of COVID. I, I don't know if it was the same for any other uh, service people, plumbers or anything. But I know for my company, what had happened at the start of like COVID when everyone was got the, their first day at home orders. People were like, oh, I'm off of work. I get to stay home and work. I got money. I need to get this and this and this done. So... It was not just preventative or maintenance shit that I was doing. People were calling us going, hey, we, you know, we're home. We're not working. We got the cash. Can we get uh, these outlets added in here, here, here? Can we do this? Can we do that? So they're spending money and doing things. Fast forward about six months, maybe a little bit more. And the people start realizing, oh, shit, I'm not going back to work. I'm staying at home. What the hell is going on? Some people were getting laid off. Um, others were just picking up and leaving the goddamn state, which was smart. And my residential work 
Started hitting the brakes. But the commercial work that had hit the brakes at the beginning of COVID was starting to pick back up. And that was because our lovely Gruesome Newsome was allowing companies to bring people back to work. You know, a certain amount of a certain amount they had certain stipulations and certain amount well once you start doing that all our commercial clients start calling us and going, Oh, we need this done. Oh, can we get this done? Oh, can we get this done? And uh, can we get this done? And what's funny is I me personally I think I'm on wait a minute. So they did having us wait and not do this work when no one was there but yet they're calling us back to do this work when people are there and the area they want us to work we have to do after hours because we can't do it with the people working there so they should have had us doing it when they weren't working but hey so my hours that I wasn't getting from the residential side of my service work, you know, the 60 to 70 hours a week. Now I was maybe getting, you know, a week, maybe getting 30, 35 hours of residential work. The rest, 30, 35 of it was all commercial, all commercial, which I didn't mind. You know, it's just funny because I saw, uh, to me, it's how I explained it. You know, everyone was at home. They had money. They're like, yeah, yeah let's get this work done. And and they stayed at home. Um, <laughs> they started getting sick of seeing each other at home. They started getting sick of the same old sh- routine. Um. And, yeah, it was, they just, you know, it, it slowed because they weren't sure if they're going back to work. They weren't sure if they're, you know, what their money situation was like. So they slowed up. And I, I, I don't know how people did it during COVID because here I here I am I, I I got laid off or whatnot uh September 17th kind of made it finalized October 3rd because tried to call my boss or whatnot you know, like he would call me one day and say, "Oh, I got work." I call him. Oh, I don't. Uh, I'm sorry, the job got canceled or whatnot, so he didn't have work. So it was like hit and miss like that for a couple of weeks, and then finally I said, "You know what? The more I sit at home, and the more I think about how he was 
and is so moralist and can fuck his son's 19 year old girlfriend and move her in when he's 46 I was like what the fuck kind of morals do you have you fucking piece of shit like if you could do that to your son your own fucking son your fucking seed from your nuts and yeah I understand they're broke up but dude you're 46 fucking years old and you have to move a 19 year old into your house oh wait the only reason you moved her in is because her parents found out that YouTubers fucking each other and they kicked her out That, that I cannot, I'm sorry, I can't, I cannot work for. I know my morals are fucked up and I have bad morals in certain situations, but I'm sorry. I, I don't, uh, and honestly, I don't care how long they've been separated. I don't care how old they are or how you know pretty or what not they may be that's my son's ex-girlfriend I couldn't I couldn't do that to my son but I guess that's what having morals or having love for your family does and so, me thinking and thinking and thinking, well, wait a minute. If this fucking guy could do that to his own flesh and blood, blood, his own fucking seed, you know, so easily and without any remorse, like, like nothing. Um, can you imagine what he would do to fucking anyone else? Like, Wow, so I'm sorry I can't I I I can't see myself working for a person like that is just not uh not uh not kosher. Not in the least bit. So it was funny as I had to pick up my tools from his office. Um Yesterday, so I sent him a message and said, hey, dude, I, I'm finally getting my tools out of your office. And he sent me a message. Oh, great. Perfect. And then about an hour later, he sends me another message. Hey, uh, if you don't want to take that other job, uh, I have plenty of work. You know, you come back to work for me and... <laughs> I just laughed and read that. I didn't even fucking respond right away. I was like, oh, because I knew if I responded right away, I was going to probably say something that um, I wouldn't regret, but <laughs> it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right to say. So I just 
put my phone away and sat there and was like, nah, nah, nah. So basically, what I told him is, no, I accepted my job. I moved to Tahoe next week, so you have a good one. And uh, yeah, even if I didn't take that job, I couldn't find myself working for you. Definitely can't. And what's funny is the more you talk to him and, and get to know him, like when I first started, I was like, oh, this guy's awesome, Bubba. And then you get to know the real guy. And you're like, oh, my fuck. What did I get myself into? Like, oh, man. And, and then you find out he's from South Africa. And then it kind of makes a little bit of sense. It's like, oh, you're one of the white people from South Africa. That's why you act entitled. That's why you act like there's, you can't do no wrong. You can't see no wrong. You can't say no wrong. You can never do no wrong. He's the type of guy that at 12 noon will completely argue with you and tell you it's fucking midnight and it's black outside and you're fucking nuts if you think it's 12 noon and sky blue outside. And you know what? He will fight you and fight you and fight you until you fucking agree. So I learned quick on, alright, I'll agree. But then there's certain times like, wait a minute, this fucking guy is lying to me. Wait a minute. I don't know. I don't like no what is it what is he thinking? And he's I don't talk I don't talk to No, he just has a certain way of doing it to where he makes you feel like a white excuse my French everybody, but he try he makes you feel like a fucking nigger. Period. He treats you like fucking you are an ignorant piece of fucking shit he just picked off the bottom of this shoe but then tell you but I didn't cuss at you or anything I I talked so he thinks that since he didn't swear or anything his talking down to you and, and, and making you feel like an idiot he's doing it the right way so when I finally had enough of it, after like a year of working for him, I, I was like, wait a minute, my own fucking dad don't even talk to me this way. I'm on, dude. We're, so I even told him one day, he called me and we're blah, blah, blah. He, he said something. I said, all right, Dirk, listen up, motherfucker. I said, my own dad doesn't even talk to me that way. I'm on, you and I are the same motherfucking age. We're both 46. So if you want to talk to me like that again, why don't you do it not on the phone, but why don't we meet at the office and let's see how far you get talking to me like that. Guarantee you, you won't get very far because I'll have a fucking, I'll throat your ass so fucking fast I'll bust your fucking abs apple. And, and it's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm talking to you so nice. Hey. Alright. 
This is it, bud. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't being done to me. Plain and simple. I don't answer the phone or whatnot. And it's just instantly a fucking dick or instantly got attitude. No. It takes me a few minutes and it takes a dumbass fucking running his mouth, lying or doing something and I'm going to fucking call him out on his shit. And that's what finally was our, the demise of me working for him was, uh, I, I was done putting up with this shit. So anytime and every time he, he lied to me or he tried to pull something on me, I called him on it. And I'm sorry, I'm the type of person, the F word flows out of my mouth with such ease, I don't even acknowledge it. I was talking to someone the other day, <laughs> and they laughed at the end of it, at the end of my conversation. I was like, why are you laughing? What did I say that's so funny? And they're like, no, no, no. Do you realize you said fuck seven times in that five-line paragraph? I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't even realize. And here's the funny part. They, don't, they continue laughing. They're like, no, no, no need to be sorry because I... If I didn't sit there and go, wait a minute, did he just? Yeah, he did. Wow. The way you said it, I didn't really catch it, but yet it was like it was supposed to be in that sentence. Like you formulated, the word was formulated just for you to stick in that sentence. And, he's all, and you had such. An amazing way of using that word. Uh, what do you mean by that? He's <laughs> all so, well. When you're saying it, when you said it in in, in those seven times in that paragraph, there's a couple of times where you could tell like what you're talking about and, and whatnot, and it came out. You're like describing something. And you're like, oh, it's you know, blah blah blah. And it's just this and that and and oh I'm fucking I had these flames and they're all he's all and if you hadn't used the F word the way you did I really wouldn't have caught or got the full picture of what you're saying. Now if you would have said the F word like you did in this sentence when you're describing something that your boss did, I could tell the F, the, the fuck, had a bad meaning, had a bad tone to it, to where it wasn't as good as the fuck that was describing a car. So with that being said, 
even though you did use curse words, they were used like adjectives and verbs and just completed the sentence and completed and made the visual in my head. So, yes, I understand you're working on it and all good, but just know me personally, the way you used it, I'll give you an A. And I just laughed. I was like, holy shit. And I really, really, really did not want to be talking like that because I was during a job interview for another department at Kirkwood that I actually did not take. This was to work in the, uh, the lodge to be a front desk attendant. And I, I was interviewing and trying to be, um, you know, a, a perfect gentleman and be like, hey, so this, so this, boom, boom, and then bam, that little five line fucking paragraph had seven efforts in it. And when I, I I caught the last one, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, and blah, blah, blah. And I was explaining to him, like, hey, I, I just had a, a stroke five years ago, so, like, it, I got to fully think about what I'm saying, or else it just comes out. I'm all plus. I've been in construction for 28 years, so it doesn't really matter how I talked. So the F word became part of my everyday vocabulary. But don't worry, I will totally work on it for when uh, or if I get the position. And that's when the guy had said, oh, no, you had the position. Um, it's up to you if you want to take the job. Start date will be. Uh, the 25th, so the day after Thanksgiving. And I, I told him, I said, well, you know, let, let's hold off. Yeah, I would love to take that job, but let's hold off a minute because uh, I do have a couple other job interviews. Um, to go through uh, with Heavenly and Kirkwood, which... Both are owned by Vale. So he said, no problem. You, you know, um, I'll give me a couple of days. I'll give you a call once I talk to them. He's like, all right, perfect. Well, the following day, I believe it was the following day. Yes, it was the following day. I woke, just woken up. Um... So they go, I was laying in bed and I was like, oh, oh shit, I need to get up. And I'm in the bathroom, I was doing something. I was like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to have a freaking phone interview. I'm like, is that with North Star? Or is that with the Veil people? I'm like, I can't remember. And then right as I was saying that to myself, bam. 
get the call from Vale. Ah, that's who it was. It was Vale. Good job. Good job. Well, that was the interview for the lift operator, lift operations job, which she offered to me, and I took. Um, because I know being lift ops, that's gonna get get me around the lift maintenance guys and and other people, and one. One of the jobs I did apply for is uh, a lift electrician with the lift maintenance at Kirkwood, which is a a year-round job. It's not a seasonal job, and that's what I was kind of going for was, you know, the seasonal job. But, (laughs) all right, now, I've been... In construction, my main thing is electrical, electricity, but I know how to do it all because I have friends in other trades and I want to learn. So I've stuck it out. My 28 years of construction, I probably could, but I would definitely sub things out, but I could probably build my own fucking house. I've had classes on classes and and gotten in years of motor controls, learning the electricity and the ins the ins and outs of motors and motor controls. So when I apply to Kirkwood as a Kirkwood lift electrician, I about <laughs> I about shit my pants and died laughing <laughs> when the main guy hiring guy for that department calls me and he says, uh, "Yeah, uh, you know." Thank you for applying and blah, 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 blah. But we're going to probably go. Uh, I'm going to go in a different direction. I, I would like to find someone that has some kind of, a, you know, mechanical experience or, or knows what they're doing. I said, oh. and that is when I laughed and I went, oh, oh, wow. Okay. So you think very highly of yourself, don't you? And he's all, why? What'd you mean? I said, I didn't know my 28 years in the construction trade, mainly electrical, doing motor controls. Um, may may not have any knowledge or any qualifications to work in the department you're working where he uh, said, what? What? What do you tell me? And I said, yeah, I've been an electrician for 28 and a half years. I started when I was 18. I'm fucking 46. I'm going to be 47 in, in, in like six months. I'm, uh, and I started right on my 18th birthday. I'm uh my first motor control class was in 
my second year. Next motor control was my third year. Then every other year after that, I do I do like a little refresher course, which is I continue my education. So I, you know, I picked things that I dealt with on a regular basis. Motors was one of them. So every other year, I did a refresher course on motors because you never knew if a formula changed or something new came out or whatnot. So I was up on it. And the guy went, oh, shit. I didn't even see that. I'm all, you didn't see the attachment attached to my application? Oh, I'm all, huh? So, not to put him down, but it's not a very good uh, boss man if you can't even, you know, like what kind of boss man does that to work for if you can't even uh, look on uh, email and see an attachment and open the attachment and, lo- oh, lo and behold, it's my resume. It goes from 2021 all the way back to 1993. So the minute he saw that and said, oh, give me a minute. He read it. He was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I told you you didn't have any qualifications. You definitely are what we're looking for. I said, oh, perfect. He said, but unfortunately, I've already gave the position away to someone. And I can't call them back and say, uh, nope, you're the job I just offered you. No, you don't get it. Said understandable, no problem. He, and kind of uh, came to an agreement, or not agreement, but put me in a spot, you know, whatnot. I could have probably worked. You know, snow, the snowmaking crew or, or try to get in with groomers, but I didn't try that route. So I am a lift operator because guess what? I'm going to have to see the lift maintenance guys on a daily basis. So guess who is going to become the annoying redheaded stepchild? Me. Every chance I get. I'm going to be in their face. I'm going to be offering help. I'm going to be doing anything and everything I can. So when the next year-round position opens up, I'm going to jump on it. I'm going to take it. I'm definitely going to jump on it. And, and yeah, lift maintenance, you still bust your ass and do stuff. But it's not like you're busting, busting your ass like I did in electrical work for eight hours a day. Yeah, you're working, you know, eight, ten, twelve hours a day. But you're just servicing lifts, summertime, replacing chairs, you know, replacing things, doing more preventative maintenance on them. And... That is what I want. I, I, I want to do. You know, I really look forward to it. And, uh, now, 
you know, I look forward to it, but one part that I'm like, ah, I can hang back and uh, not rush right into it, is I was never, ever, ever, ever afraid of heights. I could be up as high as I wanted and and do some of the gnarliest things and not have any fear and just fucking do it. And now I even get on assisted lift and go up 40 feet, 45 feet, which used to be like nothing for me. And uh, I kind of start tasting my butt. And I start getting a little nervous, especially if I'm outside and it's a little windy. The minute that, that lift or whatever I'm on does that little shimmy, shimmy shake in the wind. I'm gripping the sides. I'm lowering myself down. I just... I don't know what it is. I I actually hate it. And it gets me so like worked up. Like turn coming down like the anxiety or panic attack that I have is just you know, every time is just freaking crazy. I mean, so bad to the point where I would have to take a break, drive my van to part of the uh, parking lot that I wasn't out in the open, and I'd have to turn my AC on full blast in the van, and I would hike my pants up to pass over my knees so they're like shorts I take my shirt off one I felt like I was 4,000 degrees it's so hot and I just needed to cool myself down and I cool myself down and I sit there and I well shit now I need to warm myself up and I get myself warm again but you know, it's like, you know, I can't do it, so the anxiety would be so bad, so what I'd, I'm like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna rip a pipe load real quick, and let me smoke a joint real quick, and I'd take a couple of rips, and not get, like, full cheese, but get, like, a, a you know, Get a nice attitude adjustment. And I go right up on the lift. And do my thing like normal. And it was just because. I was stoned. It will. Concentrate just on the task at hand. 
And since I was stoned, forget that I was so high up in the air. And I would just work. And then what was weird is, like, right as I was ending the task that I was doing, that was like right when the high was wearing off, or that was right when I was starting to realize, oh, I'm in the position I don't like. Yeah, and I would hurry up and finish it up and write down, go to the next one and take my time and all right, all right, start myself up, give myself a little pep talk and go do it. But, uh, yeah, I've seen some of the shit you got to do on the ski lifts. And I found out last last, uh, season. Um, I had a little bit of fear. Didn't have it. Like on all these certain this, and then I went on. We hit one. The Sierra Tahoe. They have two that take you to the very top. They have an old double, uh, double chair. Then they have a new high speed quad. Well, for. Every one of my lifts that hits the unload center, I would say six of the high-speed quads have already, or five of the high-speed quads have already gone, maybe six, and they'd be drinking number six or seven, same time I was having mine. And, uh, yeah, so. all I know is fear is a bitch. And besides that, most bitches are cunts. <laughs> Sorry, lady, sorry, but no, I'm, I've got my own reasons for saying that, you know, I would just, I would say those past week, week and a half, my, the way I think and the way I talk, Talk about most women and think about most women and why not. Um, you'd be like, oh, no wonder why you get treated the way. No, let's change some. They treated me and I've been treated this way for so long that. It has turned me into this bitter, cold-hearted asshole, piece of shit asshole that just don't give a 
fuck. You know, it, um, last thing I told her, I said, you, you won. <laughs> you won. You, you, you got it. And so, what do you mean by that? That's when you met me, I was, I was the nice guy. I, uh, I didn't let you pull your wallet off for nothing. I I opened every door for you. I everything I did was for you, for the betterment of you, um, and whatnot. And you liked it, and then you started get, you know, saying these things like under your t- under your breath, you know, about me, and call me old, and shit like that, and I just can't, I can't take it anymore, so you won, you won, so what do you mean, how did I win, I said, well, you took it, you got everything, you got the last bit of niceness out of me because now I'm just a fucking hardened, cold-hearted fucking dickhead. And fuck it, you fucking whore, get the fuck out of my house. And just, you know, try by, try by trying to be the nice guy all the time. It is true. Nice guys finish last. But then again, maybe it's just me. Because even being the dickhead and getting me anywhere is like, I, I, I don't know what to do anymore. It's, um. My buddy posted on uh, on one of the things yesterday. He's like, "Fuck sex." Would you just stay around long enough for for me to fix me? I took him one step further, and I said, "Oh, I got you. I got you." I said, "Fuck sex." Can I just have a normal conversation to where? You acknowledge me and not make me feel like I'm not invisible or dead. And that's the way it is. Like, literally, even before I started this, like, fuck you, I don't give a fuck. Um, way of thinking. Um, no. One of the last girls I I hit on, I was I was out somewhere with a couple of buddies, and I was like, "Oh my god!" That, like, it wasn't that she was just fucking gorgeous. There's just something about her, you know, I liked, and we were sitting close enough in the place we're at to where. I know they heard us talking and I heard them talking and listen, listening to her. 
I was like, you know, what? Just the way she talks made her sound, you know, even better looking than what she was. So I was like, okay. Um, turning my buddies on my, I'm sorry. I know this is kind of like out of my norm since I got married and divorced. And <laughs> I hit 30 years old. Well, now I'm 46, but uh, I I just don't go up to girls and or women and hit on them. I've never been one to do it. I don't have any kind of pickup lines or any anything. I'm you know just a normal guy in that in that manner. So I went up to the to her and you know I introduced myself and. I was thinking she was going to do the same, so I introduced myself, and, you know, I, I, I told her, like, you know, I'm not trying to eavesdrop on you, but every so often when our conversation has a low, I hear you talking over here, and I'm sorry, what I hear you talking about and stuff is draw me, draw my interest towards you and you know I'd just like to say hi and have a conversation with you and she literally turned around and finally like looked in my direction as I was talking to her I was like oh she did hear me and she proceeded to look through me yeah we're looking eye to eye but she wasn't looking in my eyes she was looking through me at what was behind me. And then she proceeded. To have a conversation. With her friend. And I was literally. A foot and a half to two feet. Away from. Her. So I know she had to see me. I know she had to hear me. But yet she acted like I wasn't even. I didn't even exist. And yeah, I can make a can make a person upset, but honestly, that's kind of what's been happening to me, like since my divorce. <laughs> I I've. I think I, I may have only been out on two dates. But you guys have a good one. Alright, bye. I lied. I'm here, guys. <laughs> but no. Uh, um, what I was saying is, since my divorce five years ago, when she left me while I was in the hospital, recovering from my stroke, And I, 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 I haven't asked her, and you know, I never looked at the original um, thing, the divorce papers and whatnot. I said, "All right, that's what you want, fine." And I just signed them. 
didn't even read them, just signed them. And uh, didn't even bother looking at the restraining order because uh, I, that's what I should have looked at because uh, I want to know what she told the judge or whoever to get this restraining order because I was in the hospital recovering from six strokes, had flatlined, was relearning how to walk, talk, and write. The state had my driver's license, had everything. So I really want to know what she told the judge to get the restraining order. No signs of abuse. No domestic violence or anything like that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I do know. And I don't know if this is all that she said, but I do know the judge told me, yeah, she got the restraining order. Um, she's afraid you're going to steal your, uh, steal the kids and, and take off with them. <laughs> Mind you, I'm, I'm standing inside a walker. <laughs> I had been maybe walking for all of, uh, you know, a week without the walker, but that was only in my physical therapy. I wasn't outside of physical therapy. I was in physical therapy. So I, I, I just looked at the judge and I went, huh? Does it look like I could steal the fucking kids? How, I'm not going to get too far with them. I can't even fucking make it, out the, make it out this door in a matter of five minutes. So how the hell am I going to steal or kidnap my own fucking kids? I don't even have a driver's license, so I, and I don't have a car, so there's no, no way I could do that. There's uh, no way I could put them on my walker and say, come on. No. So that is complete and utter bullshit. But hey, she got it. I dealt with it. Here's the part that fucking kills me. Her unscrupulous, moralist, fucking cunt self. She probably get together with my ex, my ex boss. They're fucked up brains would probably be good together because when she went and filed for the divorce and got the restraining order, our kids were in LA. They weren't even here. Mind you, I was in the hospital for over a month and a half and I only saw my kids once. They didn't even see me when I was about to get out. But yet, 
she had the audacity or the fucking balls to tell my kids, oh, wait, I didn't choose this. I didn't, I did not want this. I wanted your daddy to come home. Your daddy is the one who decided to leave us. He's the one who decided to go to his dad and stepmom's house to recover. And they fucking believed her. So for a couple of years, I was really fighting the fact that do, do you guys really think I would do that? No fucking way would I do that to you guys. Do you think I, after not seeing my, my kids for a month and a half and not seeing my dog and not being in my house, that I wanted to go to Grandpa and Nana's house where my kids weren't and do my recovering there? No, I wanted to be with my family. It was your fucking mom who made that decision. Not me. If I had the, if I was able to make the decision, I would have been at home with you guys. I would have been recovering there, but no. Your mom, my personal opinion, said, oh, wait a minute. Um, I'm still young. This guy just had a stroke. I want to go live my youth that she blamed me for taking away. But yet, um, so you got me pregnant. Uh, I'm sorry, but, uh, my defense to that is I did not take your youth away. It was a group effort. Because I did not rape you to impregnate you. You willingly spread your fucking legs for me to impregnate you. So, therefore, group effort, dumb cunt. But, yeah, so the minute that happened... You know, I, my, of course, my confidence and self-esteem kind of, not just like hit the base a little, it was like avalanche, landslide, mudslide, fucking coming down because, you know, I could barely talk. I, I couldn't even write. So therefore, you know. I I lived a sad, lonely existence for for almost eight months, and then I was helping a buddy. You know, I was back walking without the the walker and stuff, but I still wasn't one hundred. But I was just like I I was in the hospital because I was supposed to be in the hospital a lot longer than the month and a half. But I told him, "No, I'll be here." One month, and that's it. I'll have everything I need to do in that one month. So, well, that's 
very optimistic, but we'll put you down for, you know, two and a half, three months. Well, nope. Other than that, because it's determined. No, my kids need the dad. When I have flatlined and, and in my head, I knew I, I knew something was up. I didn't know I had flatlined until, um, the doctors had, uh, made sure I was fully awake and recovered. And then they told me, oh my God, what a scare that was. But all I, I just remember having the first little stroke at home and then the second stroke at home, that, that was the, that was the major, one of the majors. And, I couldn't even walk, couldn't do nothing. I could barely keep my eyes open on that one. And I was, my ex had walked me into the bathroom and I was sitting on the toilet. And next thing you know, I'm being woken up to, hey, Mr. Inside, Mr. Inside. Um, hi, we're so and so, you know, with permit. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, you're having a stroke and we're going to be taking you to the hospital. Okay. <laughs> to where I have my work boots and my work clothes on because I was literally getting ready to walk out the door when I had the very first one. But it, it just made me feel like I was drunk. Like I was like, what the fuck? You know, I was like, I don't even drink. Why do I feel like this? Uh, it made me. It made me stop and go. Wait a minute. Did I take a bong hit already this morning? Have I smoked? And no, I hadn't. I hadn't done any of that. So I, I didn't know where this like dizziness was coming from. I it was like, I was just pure wobbling and shaking, and is is. It was bad. And I just said, oh, fuck. So I called my boss and I said, hey, Jenny, dude, I'm going to be like 15 minutes late, maybe a little bit more, but um, I got to go lay down, bro. Something's something's not right. I got to go lay down. And, you know, give me about 15 minutes and I'll, I'll be up and on my way to work. He was like, oh, no problem, Mike. No problem. Thanks for the phone. Thanks for the heads up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, when I got off the phone with him, I put the phone back in my pocket and I went to go walk the 25 feet or so to the master bedroom so I could get in bed and lay there, you know, for a little bit. And I got probably about... 10 steps into it. Um, <clears throat> down to the ground I went. Like, just fell. And in my head, I, I still wasn't thinking stroke or anything. I was just like, what the fuck? 
And like, I went to go push myself up and get myself up. And I was like, oh, I was all wobbly. I was like, you know what? I'm really down here. I'm going to stay down here. So out of just determination wanting to get back to my bed, I pulled the old army crawl. Crawled with my, you know, and left my legs straight, dragging behind me and walked on my elbows, crawled on my elbows, got got to the bed and threw myself up into the bed and was laying there for a little bit and then like everything was cool and then next thing you know, wham that dizziness you know, and me rocking had come back. But this time, I didn't want to tell anyone. I could feel my lips getting tingly, which means they were going numb, which means I wasn't getting oxygen to my brain. And while I was talking, you know, I called my boss and he's like, dude, we just had this conversation like five minutes ago. Um, my, uh, ex-wife and my daughter, my, who was sleeping in the bed with us, must have heard or something. You know, oh, really? Oh, wow. I didn't remember calling you, Danny. Why not? My daughter jumped up, who was four at the time. She's, oh, my God. Daddy's having a stroke. Daddy's having a stroke. Daddy's having a stroke. I looked at her and I said, no, I'm fucking not. Lay your ass back down and go sleep. God damn it. Uh, I proceeded to lay there and lay there. And I did not want to say anything, but the lips were getting even more tingly and even more tingly and even more tingly. And then my stomach said, <laughs> I went, oh, my goodness. Hey, Nicole, do you mind, uh, like, yeah, I think you're going to have to help me into the bathroom because I'm about to shit myself. So I scooted to the, the foot of our master bed to walk the three feet from the bed to the bathroom. And the minute I stood up, I fell straight to the ground. There is nothing there to hold me up. I was full-blown stroke. And so, therefore, when the paramedics like, woke me up and told me what they're doing, when the first thing I saw when I opened my eyes was the fucker who was down on, his gr on the ground near my shoes and my pants with his fucking scissors. Getting ready to cut my shit off. And <laughs> I may have been stroking out and dying, but still gonna give you what I think. And when I saw the knife, I went, huh, you, or the scissors, I said, oh, you can put those fucking right back where you got them. And I said, oh no, I need to take your your shoes and your pants off. And I said, and like I said, and my, my eyes closed, but leaving, um, like I said, 
you could put those fucking scissors away and not put them anywhere near my my hair, please. Keep going that way anyways. Just don't. Please. You know what? They didn't. I took my own shoes off. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. My ex-wife, um, she untied and pulled my boots off so they wouldn't cut that. And then they got after we got the boots off, the guy grabbed the scissors again. Now <laughs> these are my good jeans, motherfucker. And I stood up real quick and pulled my jeans off and was sitting there in my underwear. I said, if you want, I'll take my underwear off too and I could be here buck naked right in front of you. No, you're fine, Mr. Ainsley. Like, what we're going to do is we're going to get you up on the screen now. And they got me on the gurney. And I think I, was, I went in and out of consciousness um, maybe like three times from my bedroom to the ambulance. And then when we finally got in the ambulance, the paramedic in the back was with me and it's like, okay, Mr. Ainside, we're going to be taking you to Good Sam Hospital. I said, no, you're not. I said, no, Good Sam. No, Good Sam. I have Kaiser insurance. You're going to take me to Kaiser. And I said, no, sir. We're going to be taking you to Good Sam. I said, what did I just fucking say? We're not going. You're not taking me to Good Sam. Take me. To Kaiser. And the guys all we can't do that. Your condition, good Sam is closer. If we want to Kaiser, you may not make it. And that is not what we're about, sir. I said, Well, I then let me out and let me die in my driveway. And they looked at me like, What the hell? And they asked me, they're all, sir, why, why don't you want to go to Good Sam? Why don't you? And the reason was, I was at Good Sam probably six months to a year before the stroke. And I had just taken my safety goggles off at work, was folding up some wire so I could get ready to make up the box Well. One of the wires was longer than the other, so when I bent it up with the back of my hand, you know, to get it out of the way to make up the other wires, the very end of it, the bare copper part that had no sheeting or anything, stabbed me right in my eye. I, it went on my eye. And it cut my retina. Cut the eyeball. I was able to feel it, like... It hurt to open my eye. It hurt to really close my eye. So I had to like barely close it. When I what I did was I found the right spot and I just put tape on that spot of my eye. So my eye did happen to open it just saw the backside of tape. But didn't freak out. And they're like, yeah, so, and I'm all, could Sam straight up tell me, I, fu 
you know, pretty much call me a fucking liar about my eye. But yet, I went to Kaiser where I have insurance. And, oh, yeah, my retinas got a scratch. Scratch my retina. So, what? Good Sam couldn't fucking figure out and couldn't do and told me, call me a liar. You're now going to take them over there, take me over there for a fucking stroke. Perfect. They can't wait to see the incompetence in there. Well, good Sam, little did I know, had just opened up. Uh, an ICU for like uh, the brain for stroke and heart attacks and stuff so I got to go into a wasn't a brand new wing of good uh, hand but it was a new area of good sand. They transformed whatever it was into this and brought in new doctors and nurses and stuff that specialized in that. Thank you, good Sam, for making me eat my words. Because <laughs> when I went back to Kaiser, yeah, Kaiser and Redwood City was fucking dope when I was there. That place was, that place was nice. Wish I could have done my uh, rehabilitation there, but no, I I went up to uh, Kaiser Vallejo for that, and uh, yeah, Kaiser Vallejo. It was nice, but it it was nice, but it's ghetto. Oh, 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 you know, I know. And Vallejo is not a ghetto town. It just the hospital just didn't seem didn't scream to you like other places. The, the, the Redwood City thing. I had a keyboard for my TV. I could order my not. Just the day's meals. I could have my whole week's meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All ordered and planned out with certain times. So I knew I was getting breakfast at a certain time. I knew I was getting lunch at a certain time. I was getting dinner at a certain time. And it wasn't like, oh, meal time, here you go. It was when I wanted it. And then grab the remote that changes the channel. And I had a couple other buttons. I'm like, what are these buttons doing? So I hit the button that shows like up. And next thing you know, my my blinds, my my sunshade or my blind or whatnot was motorized. It start raising up. I was like, holy shit. I looked out the window. I was like, oh shit. There's the 101. Right there. Oh shit, there's the bay. Oh wow. And of course, I got to look out over the shitty part of Redwood City in, in San Francisco Bay. <laughs> I got to overlook uh, 
Cargill, part of Cargill's salt factory. And some, their, their salt, whatever you want to call them out in the, out in the bay in the shallows. So it wasn't all that great, but the room, the, the nurses, the facility, everything, so nice. The, and, and good Sam, the ICU that I was in, oh my God, that was super nice. Everyone in there was super nice. Um, in fact, I'm, I, I, I did get in trouble when I first came to, because I, you know, when I came to after having a stroke and sitting there and I think my ex-wife was off at work or she went to work or something. So I didn't see her right when I woke up. My mother had driven up from Southern California. She was there. Um. My dad was there, and I, I just I remember waking up and seeing them talking to him, and I'm kind of glad my ex-wife wasn't there right off the bat because uh, when I came to and I was around uh, a few of the a couple of the nurses had come in and they were probably right around my ex-wife's age, you know, and they're early the mid twenties <laughs> possibly late twenties you know, mid to late twenties and good looking. And this dumb fuck uh proceeded to Oh wow, aren't you kidding? Like my way of hitting on my dad mom looked at me like Michael, what the fuck are you doing? I'm talking, and then nurse went away, and my mom went out, looked at my house, flirting with the nurse. My dad's all, you're fucking married, dickhead. And me said, I'm, oh, yeah. And I guess just the, uh, Everything I've been through and then opening my eyes and seeing, seeing this group, uh, probably just made me um, I don't know what it is, but I did. And I, you know, I feel bad, but uh, I made it right. But obviously I didn't because she left me two days before the before I got out and by her doing that <laughs> I should have kept the date with the one nurse because <laughs> she actually went and bought me a plane ticket to Toronto to go to her cousin's wedding with her and to go the, that year, two thousand sixteen, the junior uh, the Junior World Cup of Hockey was being played in Toronto. And lo and behold, she was a hockey fan. And she's talk, talking to me who 
I was coaching my son's hockey team. Um, my son was in, you know, whatnot, and I was coaching. I was I played hockey for years, and I was like, oh my god! Not only are you damn good looking, but you fucking like hockey. You're into sports. Wow. You got two things up on my ex-wife. Looks. And you like sports. I'm all, wow. And, you know, without my wife knowing, you know, because she worked nights, me and her talked and whatnot, and, and we're all about about it. And she knew I was married. And one day she came in. And she said, uh, hey, I got a surprise for you. I said, oh, you do? What's that? And she handed me her phone. I'm like, yeah, what am I looking at? Saw your plane ticket. Saw my plane ticket. Saw, yeah, your plane ticket to Toronto. So when you get out of here, you got to get your passport. Well, wait, what? So, you, so I think you're only, so I don't know if you're serious or if you're joking, but when I was talking to the uh, the nurse saying, oh, I needed a, a date to my cousin's wedding or something like that, you yelled out and said, I'll be your date. And that proceeded us talking even more and, Thought, and that's when I brought up that the Junior World Cup of Hockey was being played in Toronto. And she said, and while I'm there, Team Canada is playing, uh, I think it was Russia. And Team United States was playing Sweden or Denmark, some one of a foreign team as well. And she had bought tickets to the United States game and to the Canada game. And I'm not talking cheap whatnot seats. She bought good fucking seats for the both of us. And when she showed me that, I said, oh. I really wish you wouldn't have done that. And she said, why? Because there's no way I'm, I could do that to my wife, the mother of my kids. There's no way. I love her. And I thought this was just us playing around like, hello, I'm a stroke patient. And since I've been, you know, and that was another sad thing. Once I had been in, you know, in the hospital after the first, the the minor and then the major that sent me in, um, they call it etastic, like part of your arm or what your arms or your legs, they call etastic. They, the, the, um, they, they shake, they wobble. Uh, you, you can't really 
oh, it, it constantly shakes, and that's why they call it autistic, and I, I called it autistic. Oh, shit, my arm, my arm's getting autistic again. Here it is. Oh, my God, and then your fingers and everything, nothing works right. And that's why I called it autistic. Well... You're supposed to only get get it on one side after like the stroke. Like you'll have your right side goes dead or your left side goes dead. Most people has right. Well, my etasticity um and one day I got from my left. To my right, in a matter of, you know, me taking a nap. My left side was, uh, etastic. And I was up kind of early and ate my breakfast one I was sitting there and I, I went fell back to sleep and when I woke up like three four hours later my right side my, was etastic I it was shaking um pretty bad um it was close to it was damn close to you know uncontrollable but it was scary so um when they came in I, I called them in I said what's going on why is why is what's what's happening and that's when I learned about etastic and shit like that and uh Um, yeah, they're like, oh, that pretty much happens, like, when you have, a, if you have a stroke, it, you know, whatever side was affected by the stroke, that's what side's gonna be etastic. I said, oh, well, far I was sleeping, my left side, and they're like, yeah, we know, we know, we know, we understand. And I was there for a total of six days. And four of those days, I had four more strokes. Because uh, I had that elasticity where it went from my left side to my right side. Later that night, it went from my right side to my left side after another nap. And then two days later, I went from my left side... I know from my right side to my left side back to my right side so um what the hell and that's when I was informed that yeah Mr. Inside you you had the first minor stroke that you know started this whole thing then you had your major stroke that sent you into us, 
and flatlined you. And now that you've been laying here in recovery before we even get you up to rehabilitation, you've had four more. Great. Yeah, wonderful. So, in a way, I was pretty much kind of writing myself off. You know, I, uh, I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, something was going to happen to me before my kids got home. Is anyone going to see me? Which then, in a way, in my head was, I took, oh, wait, that's actually a good thing. They, 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 they haven't seen me this bad yet. They, they only remember seeing me being rushed off to the hospital because we didn't let them come see me right after the stroke. So they, all they saw was me being carted off in the ambulance. And they went off, so I was like, oh shit, in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm, I may not even make it to see my kids, you know, all right. And it came time uh, for me to fill out some kind of uh, different stuff when I was up there and some of it was the DNC, the do not res or the DNR, do not resuscitate, and other shit. And one, not being in your right state of mind and fully thinking about shit, I went ahead and let my my dad and stepmom like they didn't really talk me into it. They just you know give me in the the goods and the bads about it, and I said, oh. There you go. I want a GNR. I want a do not resuscitate. They didn't try to talk me out of it. You know, they just said, okay, now what are your reasonings for wanting this? And I said, well, if I start to have a major stroke and it's really bad to where it's going to lead me to where I can't walk anymore and whatnot. I'd rather die than have my kids see me in this condition. They're used to watching me play hockey. They're used to watching me play soccer. They're they're used to a dad that rides skateboards with them and rides bikes and it just snowboards and just That's what they, they, they don't need to be seeing me because they're like, How are you guys? Oh, yes, I, my name is Michael. And that's what I sounded like after my stroke. That's why I need to learn how to relearn how to talk. Enunciate. I went to speech therapy every day for a month and a half. I went to physical therapy every day for a month and a half. 
and I worked it like you wouldn't believe because I wanted to walk because I want you know I wanted to be able to walk and have my son see me standing up and walking I wanted to be able to stand up and be sturdy enough while I'm standing that my daughter could do what she normally does and would see me and run and jump in my arms and for me to hold her eye that was my goal I didn't care about anything else my goal was my kids were not gonna witness this they were gonna see their dad walk yeah he may need a walker he may need a cane for a little bit but I am up so I I I did not want them to see me in any kind of bad condition. So I said, DNR, if I start to stroke out, don't even bother bringing me back. Just let me go. And uh, I know that bothered my ex-wife. At the time, I felt that was what was right. You know, I needed. Now that I've gotten out and I haven't had a stroke in five years, I kind of want to change that DNR. Because, you know what? I like being alive. I like it. You know, since the stroke, my controlling my emotions and, and shit I have is way out of control. Way out of control. Like, I could be laughing and joking and have a good old time and see one thing on the TV that makes me think of me, myself, and how I feel I've let my dad down or how I've not been the father for my own kids because I've been kind of forced out of their lives after my stroke from by my ex that um yeah you start to feel really bad and uh, I hear for the past I well up until September 17th when I got my dog um I was in a really really bad place to the point to where I was, I went, I hit social media. I, I don't like putting all my shit up on social media, but I went to social media and was making posts and putting a post and doing it, like asking for help my way. Like I, I was beating around the bush. I wasn't really just coming out and saying, hey, listen, I, I'm going to put a gun to my head. And, like, any minute I want to, I just want to die so bad. But, well, it wasn't like I was saying that, but I was just coming out and running about uh, my own roundabout way. Like, saying, if you actually listen to me, that by the end of the conversation, that I wish I was dead. Um, the whole entire time that I was going through this, I was... Yelling at God for 
meant me to tell my grandparents no, because uh, when I had flatlined, uh, I just thought I had my eyes closed, and, and then next thing you know, it got like super, super dark, and then probably about, I want to say about 40, 50 feet away from where I was in my head, um, there's this fucking big bright light looked like a, a cave opening, you know, and, and I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck, and then out come, you know, these two arms, like, separate arms, this old man, a, a woman's arm, that come through the light, and one's got the left arm out, and the other one's got the right arm out, and they're holding hands, and they're walking towards me, trying to make out who they were at first, couldn't really tell because the the light, and then as it started coming to my grandparents, oh, come on, Michael, come on, we'll guide you the rest of the way, come on. And I was like, no, no, no. I got two kids and a wife, and they fucking need me. My kids need their father. I No, I can't go out like that. My kids need their father. And I just remember the third time I said that, my grandma just looked at me and said, Okay, have it your way. You're not ready yet. And they walked off back into the light. And that's when I woke up. And, uh, yeah. I had wished that I had never told my grandma no. I'll be right there, Grandma. Hold on. Because, um, uh, like I said, I've, in five years, I've been on a total of two dates. When I do hit um, Bimbo, um, I think it falls on deaf ears, or I'm actually not here on the. I'm non-existent, I'm invisible, I'm not here because I get ignored all the, all the fuck time, I just, sucks, 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 and I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but, and then, you know, with now with my kids, you know, doing what they're doing, you know, my son doesn't want to be over here, and my daughter, what she's doing, you know, being her mom, um, really no need for me to stick around, sounds like my, my, I want to be here for my kids, I want to, um, If I coach again, I want to coach. But their mom took them out, took them out of sports while I was laid up. Um, yeah, um, just hurts. So I talked to my son. I said, "Hey, listen." I said, "What would you think would be better? You know, if." 
I called you and your sister to try to get you to come down, but we already know what your sister's going to say. Your sister, oh, I hate your house and I can't stand you. And then you always tell me like two to three weekends a month. I only get you one week in a month. You normally always tell me, oh, I'm going to hang out with my school friends. I'm going to hang out with Wally. I haven't done that in a while, but yet you do it every fucking weekend. And I'm the one who gets asked out and left to my lonesomeness and no kids and nothing. So, and I only live 20 minutes away. So I said, what's the difference if I live four hours away in a place I like and I've always wanted to live and I find peace when I'm there. Rather than here where I want to kill all, every stupid motherfucker on the face of this earth. Um, my son's all, well, you're not here. I said, well, Cameron, I'm 20 minutes away or a long hour walk away from you. Right? Right. Again, how often do you call me and say, hey, Dad, can I come hang out? Can we hang out? Never. How often is it I call you to see if you want to hang out or come down? Well, I start calling Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to find out. Yeah, I get told yeah, and the next thing I get your mom call me and saying, "Hey, Cameron wants to go hang out with Wally. He just feel he don't want to call you because he's afraid you always make him feel bad." Well, yeah, because. I don't get to see my kids. He's always off with some other fucking douchebag and his son. You know, so I'm going to move four hours away. So when I call and I get that phone call and that, oh, I don't don't feel bad because guess what? I'm four hours away. I kind of expect it. Not 20 minutes away. So that being said, if he wants the other fucking douche to be more his dad, Go fuck him right ahead. I'll tell you what. All you're going to be taught is how to be a fucking pansy by that dude. A fucking fag. Call it like I see it. It's not like you have one straight kid. Because I don't think your son will be. And with that being said, I am going to take off because I need to start, uh... Getting on it and getting it right because here it is uh, Friday morning and I'm more than likely need to be in Tahoe by this time next week as is my very first day will be the 22nd so I figure if I got up there the Friday the 19th that's you know, up there Friday the 19th, that's the 20, 20th, 21st, in the spot getting organized, 22nd, off to work for training, and then we work part-time until December 3rd, and then once December 3rd comes in, season's opening, and I'm going to work as much as I can, and if I'm not working... I'm going to be snowboarding. 
that's pretty much my winter. I will be on the mountain. I will be snowboarding. And, and third year back after my stroke, I'm going to push it even more than I pushed it last year. So I want to, my end goal is to try, try to get at least somewhat of where I was. You know, I, 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 I got a little bit of skills, but I want to be going down the double blacks by the end of the I would love to go down the double blacks by the end of the year, but it'll probably be next season. But hey, I'm doing it, and I'm making a move. I'm happy. My kids agreed. My daughter even sounds happy. Oh, Dad, you're moving to the hall. Oh, my God, so pretty. So I guarantee you I'll have her be able to want to come visit me in the summer. I already got my son wanting to stay more than just a couple of days with me during the summer. So you can hang out. Let's come on up. But my end goal is I would love to get a two-bedroom place up there. Cabin, apartment, whatnot. And I have a roommate. Just, you know, have the two-bedroom place. And have a spare room for my kids. So whenever they do want to come up, they can come up. And um, if they're not up, I can go ahead and either, you know, rent the room out. Um, to um, some, you know... You know, use it like a ski lease. You know, my kids. I know my kids won't be up all that up, up all that much in the winter. So from like December to April, I could do like a little six month lease. Charge them. You know, say my rent's twenty two hundred bucks. Charge them twelve hundred. Plus utilities, and I pay the rest. You know? But, anyways, I am going to end it now. And you all have a great day. And I will see you on Thursday. Or you will hear me on Thursday. But, again, everyone, this is a bonus episode. Y'all have a good day. And hit me up on, on my Q&A what now you have to go to Spotify and to the Q&A and answer the question. And there's all kinds of ways to hit me up. But hit me up or look me up on the web. You know, the PMP podcast at yahoo.com. Alright, talk to you guys later. You guys have a good weekend. Peace out. I know I said my goodbyes, but one last thing, everyone. I, uh, before I really sign off, um, if anyone would like to help or try to help, um, since the moving truck issue is all bad, uh, I, 
I'm looking into a couple options because I have a storage unit reserved up there that I could cancel um, if I can get my stuff up. But if I can't find my truck, I I'm, may just put my stuff in a storage unit down here. But um, I need a ride to to housing to to um where I'm gonna be living in Kirkwood once I find out this week um if I'm gonna be living at the resort or in town. But I uh I need help getting up there to cause my car's broke down. Good thing they have shuttle and carpool so i'll be able to get to work all year no problem but uh i need to ride with um it'd be two laundry hampers um two two foot tall by like three foot long uh rope uh, plastic totes with clothes, four snowboards, maybe five, six if I take my son and son and daughters, um, and then my son's bag, uh, snowboard bag with his gear and some of my other stuff for that that goes with me. The housing it's not much. It, it could fit in the back of uh. A truck or, or whatnot, you know, an SUV. There, there, I don't have too much stuff. It's the rest of my house. You know, I got, all I have is one small six-door, small six-door dresser in my room, a bookshelf, folding bookshelf, a queen bed, a TV tray, and then out there that, in my living room, I got another pile of boxes uh, of stuff that would probably just fit in the bed of a truck. And then uh, I have a couch, two uh, entertainment stand, uh, TV stands, two TVs, and then my snake I got also need to take to Tahoe with me because... Um, I am selling him, and the person buying him is in South Lake. So I need to take the snake up there and be able to transfer, give it to that person. So if you guys want to help, you know, if you can or know anyone that would be willing to, um, I will be compensating you for your time your labor, the use of the vehicle, and gas. Um, so you'll be taken care of. And, and if we're 420 friendly, I could definitely, definitely take care of you that way. Uh, yeah. Could give you about an ounce or so. So. Y'all are interested, you could hit call me 657-206-9606. Um email me at the PMP uh podcast at yahoo.com or Michael 
Handyside, H-A-N-D-Y-S-I-D-E, at yahoo.com. And that's all lowercase. So I hope to hear from you because so far it seems like I'm the only one that listens to my own damn shitty self. All right, you guys have a good one. I mean it this time. Peace out.